Good morning, church. It's funny, you, we probably don't think about it very much, but like most of the time the room is lopsided on this side, so now i got to shift and, and, and talk in the other direction. It's good, not a problem. Um, this morning, church, uh, I'd like to start a new series, a new Christmas series, a sermon series, um, talking about the waiting game. Um, like with the kids, does anybody have, has anybody had small children in their house? waiting for Christmas before? Yeah? Uh-huh. Is, and is it, like, I know they mean well with these gifts, and my wife, bless her, uh, bought one for our kids today. She didn't, she walked out, so we're all good. <clears throat> um, I know they mean well with these Advent calendars, but I think it's like, to kids, it's like a torture device. Like, I gotta wait one more day. Like, I can see all of the days I gotta wait. It's a, it's a reminder of how much time is left. Because kids are anxious. They want, to, they want Christmas Day to be here, and they, they're waiting for presents, right? That's what the kids are looking forward to. Now, we're older. We're much more mature, I think. And uh, we don't, maybe we don't get excited about Christmas, but there are things that we're concerned about. There are things that we're anxious about. There are things that we are worried about. And it feels like the calendar feels like it's actually speeding up. Like, who is surprised that it is December 2nd? Like, I am surprised. I turn around, like last time I looked, it was August, and now it's December. And like, why does the calendar get faster? I'm a young guy. I know that I'm new to this experience. But I see it, it just keeps accelerating, keeps accelerating. And the things that I'm worried about, the things that I'm anxious for, the things that I'm longing to happen, seem a lot more life and death. They seem a lot more serious than getting a bunch of new presents, don't they? When we're waiting for test results, or we're waiting to see what our spouse is going to do, or the decision that our neighbor is going to make, we're anxious about what's going to happen. What's going to happen with my job? What's going to happen with my future? That seems a lot more dire than presence. And the calendar accelerates, and we feel more anxious about more serious things. And so as we begin this series called The Waiting Game, we're asking the question, like, what do we do when it seems like God's just taking his sweet time to get stuff done? Like, we, we know that God is good and that God, we've sung it together this morning, that God is good and that he wants to take care of us and that he is constantly filling our lives with blessings. But sometimes it doesn't necessarily feel that way. And so how do we wait when it seems like God is just taking his time? Grant's favorite saying these days is, Dad, how long is this going to take? I'm like, I don't know, Grant. And he's like, it's going to take forever. It's going to take forever. Every time I ask him, it's really, really, really fun. <laughs> it's going to take forever. So what do we do in the meantime while we're waiting and it feels like God is taking forever? Like, can you just speed it up a little bit? It's the waiting game. And if you have ever asked that question, if you've ever asked that question of yourself, if you've ever asked that question of God, I want you to know that you are not the first. That, and that's who we're going to be talking about this morning are some of the first people to ever ask that question, God, why are you taking so long? And in order to do that, we're going to look at the Bible because we believe that the Bible is full of God's divine wisdom and is helpful for us to know how to live. And we're going to start at the beginning. This series, over the next five weeks, we're actually going to go through the whole Bible. So your, your reading is really, really, like you're going to have to read the whole thing in the next five weeks. I'm kidding. 
But we are going to start this morning. We've got, I want to go through the first four chapters of the book of Genesis. So let's open up our Bibles together. If you'd like a Bible, we've got these story Bibles here on hand that you can follow along with, and you're welcome to take home as our gift to you. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1. It's real easy. It's on page 2 in these story Bibles. Is anybody out? Is on page 1 for somebody? No. Okay. Before we get into the Word, let's pray together. God, you are so good. And Lord, um, we're born into this life, and there are so many things that we kind of have to learn on the run. And Lord, we're thankful for parents who teach us and teachers who've walked alongside us. And Lord, we're thankful for your spirit, which shows us who you are and what you want to do in the world. And we thank you for the way that your spirit speaks through what you've already written in your word. Lord, this morning as we take a look at the beginning, at the very beginning, God, we pray that you would help us to see not just a history lesson, but to see the real lives of real people and how you, the real and living God, worked in their lives in ways for blessing. It's in your name that we pray this morning. Amen. So if you look at your Bible in Genesis chapter 1, Beginning in verse 1, you might be familiar with this. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All right, we're going to stop there. (laughs) So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The very first thing that God wants us to know about him is that he made everything, and everything came from him. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through these first couple of chapters kind of real quick because I want to get to the story of Adam and Eve, and I want to put us in their shoes, their sandals, their, um, you know, they might have been barefoot, uh, just, just for the morning. So we're going to go a little bit quick, and then we're going to slow down. So if you can track with me. So at the very beginning, God created everything. And then he goes and spends six days creating everything. And in chapter 1 and verse 26, chapter 1 and verse 26, he says, we're going to make something special. Chapter 1, 26, uh, chapter 1, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the sea, over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God goes through and he creates everything, uh, light and dark and earth and sea and all of the things that we know, all of the animals that we know, and he pauses and says, Let's make something special. Let's make something in our image, after our likeness. And he says, I'm going to make mankind. And he makes mankind in his image, and man is made in God's image to be like him. Remember, he says, I'm going to make God in my, I'm going to make God. I'm going to make man in my image, and I'm going to give them dominion. And they're going to be able to rule over the creatures that I've already made. So they're going to be like my representatives on earth to the rest of creation. And when I do that, I'm going to have to make them male and female because we were created for community. We were created not to be alone. 
So that's kind of the overview. Chapter one is the overview. It goes through the seven days kind of quickly, but then chapter two, it zooms back in on that event. And that's where it describes that, that God kneeled down in the dirt and he formed Adam and he breathed his life into him. And then in chapter two in verse 15, after God had made Adam, chapter two in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. This is before sin, by the way. If you thought work was sinful, like just know that God put Adam to work before there was ever sin in the world. So just let you know. <clears throat> Verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in, that, in the day that you shall eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper for him. So, We've got God who created all of the earth, who created the stars and the planets and all of the things that we see and then all of the uh, animals. And then he pauses and makes something special. He makes man. And he gives man a job to do. And now I'm, I'm blessed because I've had this experience. Like personally, I've had this experience where you know absolutely nothing and yet you're placed in the care of something wonderful. See, you might know that I, I work, um, I also work like a, a, a normal job, a real job. Um, and so when I got hired four years ago for, for my former employer, I was given the task of taking care of his garden. He had built essentially a botanical garden for himself. And they had spent the last three years before I got hired building this Edenic garden. And I applied for this job. I had no idea what it was. It was kind of vague in the job description. I was like, hey, maybe this will work out. I don't know. And, and they showed me, and they walked me around this garden, and they said, would you want this job? I said, you, you want me to have it? Like, you want me to take care of this stuff? I don't know anything about plants. I don't know anything about fish. I don't know anything about taking care of water or systems or anything like that. And they gave me the job, and suddenly I'm in the middle of this garden, and I'm given the responsibility to take care of it. Like, Okay, uh, me and Google became very, very close friends. <laughs> and I hate to equate Google with God, but at least Adam had God to walk around with him and show him how to do stuff. Like he had a really, really good trainer, but I can, I can just put yourself there. Breathe life into for the very first time, just trying to get oriented as to what the world is. And now suddenly you've got this big, beautiful job to do. And God says, hey, like, I, got, I want you to do this work, but it's not good for you to do it alone. Like, well, I didn't know I was alone. What does that mean? And so God brings all of the animals along, and he says, look, I want you to name all these animals. I want you to find something that can help you out. And he names all the animals, which I think would just be a fascinating exercise. <clears throat> and he says, look, what animal do you want to help you? He's like, I'm, I'll, I don't know. There's nothing really like me here. Exactly. And so in chapter 2, in verse 21, it says, So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This is at last bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. See, at the very beginning, we were created for community. We were created to have relationships with God, 
because God walked with Adam in the garden. He showed him how to do stuff. I mean, he had to teach him how to do the job that he had given him to do. But even that, like God said, I made these... I made this something special to be like me. Like, I'm God. I'm the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's a relationship existing within one God. And so I'm going to make people in a similar way. They're going to be connected to me, and then they're going to be connected together. And from this, I'm going to produce life. God's all about making life. And so after Adam had seen that there was nothing in the world that was like him, God made something special from him. He made a woman. And they were naked, and they were not ashamed. Now, for those of us who have mar been married before, like your first night, like there's, there's an awkwardness of how that goes. And yet, these people, without any kind of shame or any kind of context for anything, with no sin in the world, like they were just, they were what God made them to be. And it wasn't a problem. Like, the difficulties that come with marriage, like they, they had a clean slate to start with. Anybody believe that that in and of itself just feels like a miracle? Like, yeah, mm, I, I, I hear those nonverbal amens from the husbands. Like, I can't say it out loud. Like, I don't want to get in. <laughs> so there was a relationship with God that was without shame, and there was a relationship with his wife that was without shame. They just were what they were made to be, and they had a job to do, and they worked together, and they did it. And it was good. It not only was good, it was very good. God walked with them, and they walked with God. Um, but in chapter 3, things take a little bit of a turn. In chapter 3, in verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree? Shall not eat of the fruit? No, excuse me. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? But the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So there's an adversary, there's an enemy that kind of sneaks in, and it's the oldest trick in the book. When you hear this question, I just want you red flags to go up. And it's not always evil, but when you hear this question, there should be something that pricks in your mind. Did God really say? Does the Bible actually teach? Did God really? It's, it's literally the oldest trick in the book. This, we're in chapter 3. Like, y'all see that, right? Is that really what God said? Is that really what God meant when he said that? And, and, and Eve's response is, well, no, he didn't say it like that. He said it this way. And the serpent says, yeah, well, what does God know? See, 
<laughs> that's okay. <laughs> that's my, my baby son snoring over there. It's not an adult, so <laughs> you guys are good. <clears throat> um, <laughs> what does God know? The serpent asks, what does God know? Like, you were made to be like God. Don't you know that? Like, God put you in this garden and gave you this job, and he made you to be like God, but he's holding something back from you. He's, he's hiding presents in the back of the closet that he doesn't want you to have. See, God knows that if you eat of that one tree that he told you not to eat, that everything's going to be better for you. You will be like God, and you'll know good and evil. And they're like, well, I don't know what good and evil is. And he's like, yeah, you can know. And like, well, do I want it? Like, yeah, you want to know. You want to be like God. And like, well, I am like God. And like, no, you need to be more like God than God wanted you to be. And she said, okay. Like, the fruit looks good. It looks good, and, and it can make me more than I am. Like, all right. So she ate it. And she gave it to her husband, who was standing there, like husbands do, apparently. And they knew. This is, this is the point. Like, this is the breaking point of all creation. It's so simple. We eat three meals a day, and we don't ever think about that first bite that we take. But this bite had reverberations that we're feeling thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years later. Your deepest heartbreak, the things that you're struggling with every day, it all has roots in this moment. And it's right here. This is where it breaks. And they knew that they were naked, and they went and they hid, and they did their best to cover up. And you know, when God came around to walk and to, to walk with them, he said, where are you guys? Why are you hiding from me? Like, well, we, we're, we're naked. We didn't want you to see that. What do you mean you're naked? You've always been naked. Who told you you were naked? What is it? You ate from the tree. Like, I, I love, I lo I, okay, let me pause. This is a side note. I love this story. Like, th there's just so much grace and compassion in God's voice. Like, he knows what has happened. And yet, in his grace and his kindness, he comes to people who are already sinful and says, why are you hiding? He doesn't come down with the hammer like, I know what you did. He doesn't just zap them with lightning and end it all there. He goes, why are you hiding? I want to have a conversation with you. You were created for community with me. You were supposed to be close, and you're hiding from me. And then there's consequences to the actions. And we see those in the rest of chapter 3. He says to the serpent, he says, you're going to be cursed and you're not going to have any legs and you're going to eat dirt. He says to the woman, your pain in childbearing is going to increase and you're going to fight with your husband. There's going to be a power struggle between you. It's going to happen. And, 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 and man, and I could just, oh man, can you imagine being Adam, formed by the hands of God, breathed the breath of God into life, the first sight that you ever opened your eyes to was the face of God, and God saying, Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and you've eaten of the fruit that I told you not to do, cursed is the ground because of you. If you've been 
a child with a parent and you know you're in trouble. Like you're just waiting for that hammer to drop. And God comes to Adam and says, I know what you did. And there's going to be consequences for it. And that curse, I'm going to direct to the ground. And that work that I gave you to do is going to be hard now. And you're not going to enjoy it. And, and the, the earth that grows all these beautiful plants that I've made for you to enjoy and to eat, it's also going to grow weeds. And all the, the labor and love that you put into your work is not just going to produce good things, it's going to produce evil things too. And now we're going to have to work together to sort out what's good. But I skimmed over it, and we're not reading it, but when, he, when, he, when he's addressing the serpent, when he says the serpent, you know, you're going to be cursed. He get, curses the serpent. He says this in verse 15. He says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is a glimmer of hope. This is a whiff of a promise. At the very beginning, when everything is falling apart, the first promise that God makes is to the serpent that his days are numbered. The enemy that has come in and has deceived and has already stolen from people the things that they were meant to be, designed by God, he says, at the very beginning, your days are numbered. Our, our translation here in the ESV is... It obscures it a little bit. If you look at another English translation, it, it may use this word between your seed and her seed. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And basic biology, we know that the woman doesn't have a seed, that that component comes from a man. Between your seed and her seed, there's going to be enmity, and he will crush your head, and you'll just bruise his heel. And so we read this morning that, that Christmas verse out of Isaiah chapter 7. Behold, I give you a sign. The virgin will bear a child, and his name will be Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning his name will be God with us. You see, in the garden, when everything is falling apart, at the very beginning, God is letting everything know I had a plan. But here, here is where the waiting game starts. Can you imagine sitting around the campfire after all of this has gone on? You and your wife or you and your husband have left your home and y'all are sitting around the campfire like in your, in your clothes now and you, gotta, you, you continue to live. You continue to live life. What does the week after the fall look like? It's your fault. Well, you mean it's my fault? You were just standing there. Well, yeah, but you're the one who ate it first. It's your fault. But, I mean, you see the conflict that starts? And people will argue over and over and over again about whose, whose fault it was and whose responsibility it was. And those are important questions. The New Testament addresses them, but that's not my concern. I want you to see the realness of, like, this is actual people's lives. 
they had to pick up and carry on and start a new life knowing the paradise they had before and feeling the immense pain of separation between themselves and God and between each other acutely. Like we feel it, we carry it in our bones. There's something in us that we know that things aren't right even from the very beginning. Even, even Kid Nation, when you talk to those kids, there's something that knows that there's something wrong in the world. And I, and I love children and the hope that they have and, and there's so much that we can learn from them and how they walk with God. But, I, but, but, but there's something innate. But, but we're born with it. Like they saw it happen. They were in the garden and then they were out of the garden and they knew they couldn't go back. And the only thing they had was the promise that God made to the serpent that there was a deliverer coming. So there's, here's another miracle in chapter 4. Verse 1. Now Adam knew his wife Eve, or knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. And a pause there. Like, do you realize they left the garden, that there's this conflict introduced into their relationship, and then they knew each other after that? Like, this is a big fight to have in a marriage. And like they were able to mend things back together in order to be able to begin to try to rebuild a relationship together. Like, I, I don't mean to be crass. Some of the information or some of the things that we've dealt with over the last couple of weeks, I think we can, we can say this, but like when you've had a really big blow-up fight, like you're not looking forward to be intimate the next time with your spouse. And yet, here's the biggest fight of all time. And they carry on and have a son. And can you imagine Eve's hope? Like, she feels shame in her marriage, and I'm sure she feels shame because she was the one who was talking to the serpent. And nothing's ever going to be right again. And even if she knows it's not her fault or she knows it's her husband's responsibility, like, she's still got to live with it. And then she conceives. And she says, look, I be, I've, I've, I've begotten a son with the help of the Lord. And I wonder in that statement if she was hoping that this was her seed. That the thing that God had promised for her was taking place. But the rest of chapter 4 takes a really quick turn. Cain and Abel don't get along. They don't walk with God in the same way. And Cain, her hope, her hope for restoration becomes very clearly a life taker. He kills his brother. So the dream is shattered. I don't know how long that, I mean, the, the, they had to grow up. They had to be grown men to have this conversation. Like, this is years afterwards. This is decades after the fall. Ten years, twelve years, sixteen, eighteen, twenty-five years. God said He'd take care of that serpent. It's been twenty-five years. Now I have a kid. My kids are growing up. They're they're offering sacrifices to God, and in the context of that worship, they end up killing. He kills his brother. God, I thought you were going to deal with this. 
30 years, 40 years. See, the text in the rest of chapter 4 goes on to describe Cain's lineage and goes through seven more years, and things just keep getting worse and worse for every subsequent generation of Cain. It's bad news. But I want you to look at the end of chapter 4 real quick, and we'll, we'll wrap up a little bit here. 4, verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and his name was Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So, at the very beginning, after everything has started to fall apart, and then it looks like things might get better. There's a, there's, a, there's a glimmer of hope. I've had sons, and now the son is a wicked, like, he's a killer, and, and his kids are not any better than he was. And like, God, what hope is there? And then there's Seth. Like, okay, God has blessed me. Like, I got to see Seth, and then I got to see my grandchildren, and my grandchildren are worshiping God, and they're doing what they're supposed to do. Like, maybe there's hope in this. For Eve. I hope this stays. It's not going to. The waiting game. Her whole life. I don't know what it was. I don't know how she walked with God and how, what her prayers were like after all of this. But she knew that there was a promise and she waited her whole life and she never saw the fulfillment of it. So when you say, like, God, it feels like <laughs> there's stuff going on in my life and I just wish you'd answer my prayers and it just seems like you're taking your sweet time, God. Like, I thought you cared about me. I thought you loved me. I thought you wanted what was best for me. Like, why is it taking so long for things to happen? You're not the first person to ask those questions of God. Because God's story plays out on God's timeline. God starts something here and he's going to take thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years to explain it because he's God. And we want God's story to play out on my timeline, which is he blessed me yesterday for the thing that I wanted exactly the way that I wanted it. But God's story plays out on God's timeline and Eve was the first one to learn it. And I like when I'm preaching to give you guys something compact that you can take with you and something that, that feels like, oh, great, like this is, I can use this. But this morning, I just want you to, this is just something I need you to understand. The longing that we feel inside ourselves, we weren't supposed to be like this, but we all feel it. We weren't the first ones to feel it, and we won't be the last ones to feel it because God's story plays out on God's timeline. And the waiting game is real. Eve's whole life, and if her lifespan is anything like Adam's, that's eight, nine hundred years.
knowing that God had made a promise and that he hadn't done it yet. So here's a couple questions for us as we wrap up. Do you know how to be like God better than God knows how you should be? This is the first question. This is the oldest question in the book. Like, what does God know? Like, you were made to be like God, yes, but you were made to be like God in the way that God designed you to be like God. And there are, there's a pride in us which says, I can be like God, I know how to be like God better than God knows for how, me how to be. There, there are people who will say, well, if God is like that, if God makes those kind of moral decisions, then I don't want to serve that God. Like, God didn't ask your permission, he's God. And that question is the one that we've wrestled with from the garden on. Can we trust that our creator can see things better than us? The one who formed, the one who formed all things, who sees the beginning from the end, can we just trust that he sees things better than we do? And we can be honest and say, God, I don't see it. I don't get what you're doing here. I know what you've asked me to do, and I'm doing my best to take the next step, but I don't get it. Would you help me trust you that, 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 that you can see what's happening here better than I can see? That the whole world is in his hands. And will we continue to hope in him when he's taking his time? This is the crux of it. Because we can get discouraged playing the waiting game. Say, God, I thought you were going to take care of this snake thing. Like, what's the deal? It's been hundreds of years. And when we focus on that, we can lose hope. The question this morning is, will we continue to hope in him when he's taking his time? Because God's story plays out on God's timeline. again for listening. We hope you've been challenged, encouraged, and helped by God and His Word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our home on the internet, ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon.